Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, September 23rd, 2010. Oh, man, I don't think I'm going to get to everything I want to get to. I need to get to today. I, I just know it. Endeavor to persevere, they say. That's what we'll do here. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy, loony, bizarre, strange... Uh, well, you know, I, I, I'm running out of words, descriptors, adjectives to describe what's going on in the Christian church nowadays. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's a complete and total train wreck, despite the fact that, uh, well, we probably have more Bibles in print per person in the United States than, uh, well, I mean, how many, I, how many Bibles does, you know, the average Christian own? What, three, four, five, six? And Apparently, they the whole thing's a closed book to them because just basic, simple stuff seems to, um, uh, well, behoove us. It seems to escape our, our, our grasp, and uh, as a result of it, people are out there just saying just the craziest things about God, and, uh, well, it just <clears throat> never seems to um, end. Anyway, uh, got an interesting program lined up today. I'm probably going to dive right into it because I want to be able to get to most of it, if not all of it. And uh, if you listen to the program yesterday, uh, then you'll you'll uh, immediately know that uh, yesterday I did not do a sermon review. In fact, I wanted to but didn't get to it. So the sermon I wanted to get to yesterday, I'm going to get to it today. It's a sermon uh, preached by the wife of Pastor Eddie Jones of uh, Christian Life Center in Rolla, Missouri. And it's a sermon supposedly based upon the movie August Rush. And... Um, it, what's funny is is I was in a conversation earlier today with my daughter. Uh, I have two daughters, uh, my oldest daughter, uh, Christina, the college student now. And, uh, I, you, know, and you know, she was hearing what I was talking about uh, in, in reviewing these sermons and what's going on in the seeker-driven movement, you know, these, these purpose-driven pastors preaching about finding a dream inside of your heart and all that kind of stuff. And she said, you know what, Dad? Um, it, she said, it reminds me of some of the commercials I've seen on television for the new Barbie movie. And I went, 
what? <laughs> she's all, yeah, you know, that whole thing about finding a dream inside of your heart and, and believing in yourself and all that kind of stuff. I'm all, yeah. She's all, yeah, that's all in the new Barbie movie. And I'm all, how do you know this? And she's all, it's best if you don't ask these questions, you know, because she is a college student. And uh, I would never want anyone to believe that my college student knows anything is watching television stations where she would see commercials for the latest Barbie movie. But uh, you come to, you know, come to discover as, uh, as you know, my, my daughter and I sat down today and uh, perused YouTube looking for commercials for the latest Barbie movie. Wouldn't you know it? Uh, she was absolutely spot on. And so, I'm going to play the audio from two of the commercials that have been showing on television for the new Barbie fashion fairy tale DVD that uh, has just come out. And uh, see if you can find, yeah, you know, pick up on what I'm talking about here. Uh, yeah, so it, it, apparently, either Barbie is purpose driven or purpose driven pastors have um, adopted Barbie theology. Uh, yeah, here's uh, commercial number one. It's a little longer than the first, but yeah, you'll, you'll kind of get the gist of what I'm saying here. Premiering on DVD this fall. Get ready. For adventure, join Barbie and friends in an all-new movie, Barbie, a fashion fairy tale. And Millie is about to lose her Paris fashion shop. No, he can't wait to close us down. Barbie doesn't look happy. The magical creatures. Stop! Ah, Are they cute creatures? So to win it back, oh, light bulb. Barbie has a plan. We are so saving this place. C'est parfait. We begin this fall. Go with Barbie on a journey across the ocean. Oh la la. To a place where dreams come alive. You can do this. I know it. It's true. Magic happens when you believe in yourself. It's time to... Shine! You believed. <laughs> Look at the results. Does anyone else feel inspired? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Barbie, a fashion fairy tale. Premiering on DVD Fall 2010. Yeah, get your sparkle on and your dreams can happen when you believe in yourself. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much the, the gist of the sermons that we've been re- reviewing this week on uh, Fighting for the Faith. Here's just one more. Barbie shines in an all-new movie, Barbie, a fashion fairy tale. All new on DVD September 14th. That's what I'm talking about. Barbie goes on the adventure of a lifetime full of magical new friends and fashion fun. <gasps> the magical creatures. Ah! Let's rock this party! Barbie discovers her inner sparkle and the power of friendship in Barbie a Fashion Fairy Tale. <laughs> she discovers her inner sparkle. Part <sighs> of the doll for a day instant win sweepstakes. No purchase necessary. Many will enter, few will win. Ask a parent to go online. For complete details, go to Barbie.com slash doll for a day. Yeah, there you go. So, um... Yeah, you know, I think uh, my uh, oldest daughter has uh, well nailed this one on the head. Uh, good night. Apparently, uh, these seeker-driven uh, dreamers um, ha- haven't discovered biblical theology and sound Christian biblical doctrine. They've discovered Barbie theology. Yeah, that you can discover your, you can find your inner sparkle if you just believe in yourself. And and look, if you believe, you your dreams can come true. Ha <sighs> ha
I mean, what a sad and pathetic state the church has now fallen to as a result of complete biblical Ill- illiteracy and people who seem to think the Bible is all about them when it's all about what Christ has done for them. Sad and pathetic indeed. Barbie theology? Yeah, yeah. That's apparently what's happened to the um, <clears throat> Christian church. So more on, you know, you'll kind of get more of an idea. I, I, I might play a Barbie bite you know, somewhere during the sermon review today, but I won't be discussing Barbie per se during the sermon review. Yeah, Just so you know, if you hear you know, this, a sound bite from the Barbie movie during the ser- sermon review, well, <laughs> you know what I was talking about. Anyway, um, so let's uh, talk about more about what we're going to talk about on the uh, program today. Let's see here. George Ellerick has given his opinion regarding the cross, finally. If, if you remember, we interviewed George Ellerick. George Ellerick is a, an emergent uh, progressive type who writes for the Huffington Post, and his latest blog post discusses the cross, and we'll, we'll compare what he says about the cross to the actual Word of God, see what who you would believe here. And let's see here. Uh, we've got a story regarding... Um, well, the Christian Post has covered uh, Stephen Furtick's 24 hours of preaching to uh, shill for his latest book, or his first book, the uh, Sun Stand Still book. And uh, I, <clears throat> so we'll see what the Christian Post has to say, and we'll opine accordingly. And then uh, Sojourners, yeah, you know, the George Soros organization. I mean, I'm sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh, that was uh, a little bit of a slip there. I mean, it's the Jim Wallace's organization that's really well-funded. Uh, by George Soros, the communist. Um, uh, they've got a, a an article up with the que- that answers that tries to t- ask, answer the question: Can Muslims follow the biblical Christ and still be Muslim? Yeah, can Muslims follow the biblical Christ and still be Muslim? The answer is um, no. No, the uh, b- biblical Christianity and Islam are incompatible. You have to jettison the one in order to uh, subscribe to the other, regardless of which side you decide that you want to go to. That's just the answer up front. But, of course, we're going to be uh, checking out what goes on here. And then, I, and hopefully, time permitting, what I would like to also do then today is um, play for you audio that uh, from uh, one of the XP media channels uh, and I, the, I'm not playing it because it's crazy and ridiculous although it's that but you know, to kind of you know demonstrate that subjectivity subjectivity is the road to apostasy yeah we've kind of lost sight of the fact that uh, uh, when you put a competing um, revelation scheme next to the Bible, you lose the authority of the Bible, and and what ends up happening is is that you start believing in all kinds of bizarre stuff. And uh, and so I've got audio from a video uh, from a guy who claims that he's learned the, the, learned that there's a a language of the Garden of Eden that he he received this. Um, <clears throat> revelation directly from God, and um, yeah, subjectivity is the road to apostasy. Yeah, if you if you have a competing revelation scheme, whether it's uh, like you know the Book of Mormon, uh, let's say it's the uh, you know your own internal liver shivers when they uh, the, when it, it let's say it's like like the Catholic Church, Church tradition, and the uh, and direct revelation to the Pope. Uh, all of those are competing revelations to the Bible, and when you uh, 
when you buy into those competing revelations, you open yourself up to all kinds of uh, theological um, apostasy and craziness. You know, when you begin to trust your own subjective experiences uh, as much as or more than the Bible, well, then you open yourself up to all kinds of bad stuff. So uh, we'll be playing that audio today. So we got lots and lots of ground to cover, and of course I've talked about what we're going to talk about in our sermon review today, August Rush from uh, the Christian Life Center in Rolla, Missouri. The wife of Pastor Eddie Jones will be preaching that particular sermon. So you don't want to miss it. Uh, all kinds of crazy stuff going on. <sighs> Did I ha- have I mentioned there's all kinds of crazy stuff? Have I mentioned the crazy stuff that's happening in the... Yeah, Barbie theology. Apparently that's what the church, Christian church has now uh, <clears throat> lowered itself to. I mean, why do we need biblical doctrine? Why do we need to listen to what the Bible says? We should, you know, adopt the same message as the Barbie movie. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, with that, we're going to uh, move on here. From the Christian Post, headline reads... Megachurch pastor preaches 24 hours straight. Yeah. Yeah, it preaches uh, 24 hours straight on audacious faith, apparently. Uh, This is written by Lillian Kwan of the uh, Christian Post. The uh, story reads, One of the youngest megachurch pastors in the country, that's Stephen Furtick, preached what may have been amounted to a half of a year's worth of sermons in 24 hours. Yeah, the problem is, is that uh, you know, every time I tuned in, he was he wasn't preaching about Christ and Him crucified. He was preaching about so-called audacious faith. But we'll find out what the problem is here as we uh, as the story unfolds from the Christian Post. Here we go. Um, here we go. Ex- executing what he called the craziest, most asinine ideas he's ever had. Pastor Stephen Furtick stood in front of a live web audience on Tuesday and Wednesday teaching from the Bible for 24 hours straight. Uh, Though hours of sermons may have easily sounded like a snooze fest for some, the online event was a big draw for thousands who were familiar with the young pastor's passionate preaching. Mm -hmm. Quote, audacious faith was the message he proclaimed. Audacious faith. Yeah, see, see, the problem is is that, again, this is a a complete misunderstanding of what faith is. Faith is trust in Christ. Faith is a pass-through. So if you have, quote, audacious faith, you're basically saying you have an audacious Savior. You have an audacious God. I trust in Him. But apparently, no, audacious faith is something that resides in you. Well, that's kind of the problem here. It, uh, anyway, it's the same message found in his newly released book, Sun Stand Still, What Happens When You Dare to Ask God for the Impossible. Quote, there's so many people living with the ache of the ordinary. This is a quote from Stephen Furtick. Quote, there is so many people living with the ache of the ordinary. Nothing seems to ever happen supernatural in their lives, he said. Oh, yeah, you know, you get up and you go to work and you, you, you drive to work and then you go to the cubicle. You do the same work at the same computer every day and, and you collect the same paycheck and then you go home and... And your wife microwaves the same meal, and then you go to bed, and you wake up, and you do it all over again. Yeah, it's just, oh yeah, the tyranny of the ordinary. Yeah, but don't worry, Pastor Stephen Furtick has discovered the spiritual secret to break through the ordinary. 
<clears throat> the 30-year-old pastor reminded viewers, quote, we serve a God who can do the impossible. Yeah, that's right. The impossible such as saving sinners who deserve to go to hell from hell by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. Forget the sun stand still thing. I mean, that's just, uh, that, that that's nothing compared to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But, I mean, I'm not really one who likes preaching about myself. <clears throat> Anyway, um, uh, Afertik asks the question, Why did you stop believing God for the impossible, he asked. Furtick, who leads Elevation Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, was commemorating the day that his first book was released. Rather than watch Amazon rankings all day, he decided to celebrate the book release in epic style, hence the 24 hours of good old-fashioned Holy Ghost preaching. It wasn't a gimmick, he stressed, and he acknowledged that he wasn't a TV preacher or the LeBron James of pastors. No, I actually heard him in at uh, Perry Noble's leadership conference say that Judah Smith was the LeBron James of pastor, uh, pastors. Yeah, the problem is, is that when we reviewed uh, Judah, one of Judah Smith's sermons, uh, LeBron James, he did not seem like at all. Um, yeah, more like Pee Wee Herman trying to play uh, basketball. But anyway, uh, but uh, the online event was a celebration of what God had put on his heart to share with the world. Ah, oh, wow. Isn't that great? See, God apparently speaks directly to the heart of Stephen Furtick, though so that makes him a prophet, doesn't it? If God is speaking directly to Stephen Furtick and laying things directly on his heart, then he's a prophet. That's the biblical term for it, and he's either a true prophet or he's a false prophet. And if he's twisting God's word and pointing us away from Christ, then he's a false prophet. It's time for folks to realize that's what the category we're dealing with is. People are saying, God laid this on my heart. The word of the Lord then came to you. Just like it came to Jeremiah and Isaiah and Micah and Ezra and you name the biblical prophet. The word of the Lord apparently has come to Stephen Furtick, and so he's he's basically saying that God is the one who laid it on his heart. The word of the Lord came to Stephen Furtick and told him preach or write, son, stand still. If God's the one who told him to write this, and God's the one who told him to share this message, then what he's telling us is on par with Scripture, isn't it? Yeah, that's really the that's the implication of what's being said here. It's time for us folks to wake up. Okay? We got a guy claiming to be a prophet of God, but without using the the well, you know, the obvious words so, so that we would know that oh, oh, I get it. If you're you're claiming direct revelation from God, oh, that means we have to test it really stringently against God's word. Because there's only two types of prophets, true prophets and false prophets. Okay? Anyway, so let me read that again. Uh, the online event was a celebration of what God had put on Stephen Furtick's heart to share with the world. Responding to criticisms that he was merely pimping his book all day, Furtick admitted, well, that he was. But he said that he was doing it because he truly believes the message, God's message in the book, will change people's lives. So, okay, f- uh, folks, Sun Stand Still, the book written by Stephen Furtick, is God's message and it will apparently change your life. So, Sun Stand Still is a new addition to the Bible. 
Because it's a message from God. That's the logical conclusion and implication of what is being said here. Are you prepared to add the book, Sun Stand Still, to your Bible? Before you do, you might want to check to make sure whether or not it absolutely, completely agrees doctrinally with what we already know about God from what has been revealed in the Bible as it stands. Because this is God's message. That's what Stephen Furtick said. God laid it on his heart to write the book and to change people's lives with the message of the book and then to preach about the message of the book for for 24 hours. Anyway, let me read that again. He said he was doing it because he truly believes the message, God's message, in the book will change people's lives. Initially, he had hesitated to write the book. Well, that sounds humble, doesn't it? Uh, Like the Christian bookstores need another book on the shelves, he said. But what it came down to was that he believed so many people were in a position where they needed to get pushed into a pool. He wanted to tell them to stop waiting in the kiddie pool and to go to the deep end and stop settling for spiritual mediocrity and start living with unusual boldness. Now, funny enough, um, we have an incident in the uh, in the book of Acts of the Christians praying for boldness. The boldness that they prayed for was the boldness to preach the gospel, not to preach about audacious faith, not to preach about oh, you know, you can you can live a life where things aren't ordinary. You know, you don't have to you don't have to struggle with the ordinary. No, they preached the they prayed for the boldness to preach the gospel, the good news with boldness. Anyway, let me continue here. A quote, this is Stephen Furtick again. Your belief system, your way of seeing the world, your framework, what you operate out of is either going to be an outlook of faith or an outlook of fear. He said during the online event, and quote The battleground where that all plays out is in your mind. There are lies that keep people from audacious faith, he noted. Quote, who told you that you don't have what it takes to fulfill the calling God has placed on your life? I have to ask the question, what are you talking about? Every day I fulfill the calling that God has placed on my life. You want to know what the calling is that God has placed on my life? Are you ready? God has placed this calling on my life. Calling number one. I am a husband. Mm-hmm, yeah. God has called me to faithfully love and cherish my wife and to be a good husband. That's a calling that God has put on my life. Oh, wait, Chris, that sounds really ordinary. Yeah, I, I know, but you see, that's what the Bible tells me to do. I mean, I already know what God's will is when it comes to you know, that part of my life, well, that call, that part of my calling, because God's word so clearly tells me that I'm to love and cherish and serve and, uh, and, and care for and faith and be faithful to my wife. Calling number one, calling number two, are you ready for this? God has called me to be a good dad. Yeah, it's true. Read, read the tail end of the book of Ephesians. If you're, if you're not sure about this, yeah, God has called me to be a good... Wait a second, that sounds really ordinary, Chris. Yeah, I know, you know, being a dad and 
being a husband, those are, well, you know, <laughs> silly kind of ordinary things. That means, you know, all the stuff that goes along with being a good dad and being a good husband. That means loving my wife. That means taking care of my wife. It means, well, you know, t- you know, doing the dishes or you know, telling my wife she's done a great job of cooking or, you know, taking care of my, that includes foot rubs and, you know, things like that. And, and with the kids that, that involves, you know, disciplining them, taking time to spend with time with them, to teach them correcting homework. And when they were little, you know, cleaning the carpet up when they vomited and missed the toilet, um, you know, all of that ordinary stuff. Hmm. Oh, wait, 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 here, here we go. Now I'm, I'm not a slave, but I do have a job. And so my job, I, my job is to serve the people that my company serves and the company that I run is pirate Christian radio. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, I serve you as a, a, all of you as if I'm serving the Lord in, in the vocation that God has put me into. <laughs> Sounds really ordinary, doesn't it? Yeah, but see, that's what the Bible calls us to do. And you're sitting there going, well, well, Chris, what about an audacious faith? I Well, see, that's the thing. I have this audacious Savior, and he's died on the cross and rose again from the grave for my salvation, to forgive me of my sins, to propitiate God's wrath, to atone for my sins and wretchedness. Yeah, it's kind of, it sounds also ordinary, but, you know, but the funny thing is, is that that never I never grow old listening to that gospel because that's what God's word so clearly teaches. God's word doesn't tell me to go out and tell the sun to stand still. God's word tells me to go and well, you know, make disciples. That means opening the Bible and you know, teaching it. But that, I know that's kind of ordinary, but you say, what about the impossible? Well, that's the thing is, is that when I preach the gospel, the impossible happens. People who are dead in trespasses and sins and deceived by the devil, God opens their eyes, gives them a, a, a you know, takes their heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh, and they go and they repent of their sins and they trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. It's a miracle every time that it happens. Yeah, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about going out and, you know, filling the, uh, filling the, uh, well, name the stadium. I don't know any stadiums. I know the Consenco Fieldhouse for Jesus. Hmm. You think one-time events like that have bigger impact than the daily run-of-the-mill exposure that people have to God's Word? Big events are somehow more important than the deep running waters of daily contact in God's Word? Yeah, I don't think so. That's the thing about one-time events. They're kind of like flashes in the pan. Yeah, I mean, seriously. I mean, think about this for a second, folks. Okay, what would be more important? What would have a bigger impact on your children if you never talked to them or you only talked to them well once a week or 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 rather than you know rather than con you know being in daily contact with them you decided that what you were going to do on their 15th birthday is that you were going to go with them even though you haven't spent any time with or you haven't invested any time with them at all in the ordinary in the mundane and so what you decide to do is that you're going to you know to, you're going to make up for it so you're going to go 
on a four-week-long family vacation so that you can bond. And during the family vacation, you and your children can can attend a family conference attended by 20,000 other families in this big megaplex. And you can all hug and hold hands and sing Kumbaya and see that, that you can get all of your parenting done all of it done during the you know that four week family vacation with that big push in the middle during the the, the big conference attended by twenty thousand people, which will have greater impact. The day to day ordinary task of parenting, taking the time to instruct and teach your children in the way they got to go on a day to day basis, or a big event where attended by twenty thousand other families. Which is going to have the bigger impact? The ordinary or the extraordinary? Seems kind of obvious when you put it that way, doesn't it? Let me continue. Um, Who told you you don't have what it takes to fulfill the calling God has placed on your life, Furtick said. Um, You've got to find the lie and replace it with the truth. I think this is the lie, Stephen. What you're saying is the lie. I'm replacing it with the truth. Furtick warned viewers that they may have uh, swagger jaggers in their lives, people who want to cut in on you and stop you from pursuing what God has called you to do. God has called you to do the ordinary, to be a dad, to be a mom, to be a parent, to be a child, to be a worker. Quote, they're not always malicious, you point out. Sometimes they're well-meaning people. But, quote, you can't let anybody step between you and the plan God has for you. Yeah, see, that's the thing. God has planned for you that you quietly work with your hands, serving your neighbor, and fulfill the duties of the roles that he's put you in, the office of dad, mom, student, child, worker. Yeah, that's not what he's talking about here, though. He's talking about the big. It's kind of sad, though, isn't it? Yeah, well, I personally, since Stephen Furtick has basically been claiming that he's getting direct revelation from God and that Sun Stand Still is God's message, that makes him a prophet. And based on what I've seen and read in the book, and I'm almost done reading it, I have no choice but to conclude that Stephen Furtick is a false prophet that this message in Sun Stand Still is not from God. It takes you away from what God has clearly called you to do in the ordinary in your life. That's the thing about the people who did the extraordinary things. They didn't do it, do them. God did. And the, thing, the reason why they're extraordinary is because God was acting in order to protect the line of the Messiah so that the pinnacle event would be Christ's death and resurrection. But the thing is, is that over and again, the people who God specifically called in the Bible to basically be there when he did those big miracles, they weren't looking for audaciousness. They were they were trying to mind their own business. Think about Moses. Think about Gideon. Think about other guys like that. They weren't pursuing the impossible. But God found them and called them to do something impossible. But God has not called the church to do the impossible anymore. He's called us to do the ordinary. Go and make disciples and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations. 
Stephen Furtick has got us off topic on focusing on something that on a task that God has not called us to. He hasn't called us to do the impossible. He's called us to do the ordinary. And I defy anybody to find a scripture passage that says something to the contrary. You are called to teach and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name and love and serve your neighbor by doing the jobs that God has called you to do and the roles that he's put you into. Dad, mom, husband, wife, worker. We're up on our first break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> So the new pastor came in and shut down the Sunday school, uh, canceled the adult Bible study, no. dumped the hymnals, oh, sacked the choir, and put damn. in a praise band and started preaching sermons that sound like they could be preached or done on Dr. Phil's program. It's awful. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Our chief weapon is purpose. Purpose and vision. Vision and purpose. Our two weapons are purpose and vision. And ruthless relevance. Our three weapons are purpose, vision, and ruthless relevance in an almost fanatical devotion to record. Our four weapons. Now, amongst our weapon are such elements as purpose, vision. I'll, I'll come in again. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects a purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian shirts. Oh, damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it. Uh, what? You'll have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are. Uh, I, I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody uh, expects. Uh, expects no. Nobody expects the um, purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, I, I know. I know. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. In fact, those who our do chief ex- weapons are our chief weapons are um, purpose, uh, uh, vision. Okay. And- okay. Stop. Stop that. Stop that. 
our chief weapons are purpose. Blah, 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 blah. Youth Pastor Rick, read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough. Now, how do you plead? Well, we're innocent. Ha! 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 We'll soon change your mind about that. Dr. Rod Rosenblatt discussing the church's need for world-class scholarship and the unique way in which the British academic model offered at the Wittenberg Institute can help provide you with a top-level postgraduate theological degree. Christians are dependent on good scholarship in a way that sometimes we forget. Think of Tyndall House in England. Some of those evangelicals were so ruled away from the big table conversation in the Church of England that they had to develop graduate training under particular guys who had a high view of Christ and a high view of Scripture. Over the years, they did marvelous stuff with individual young scholars who came there to be trained. So what's the difference between the European model and the American model? The European is used to saying things like, I studied under so-and-so, and the American, uh, that's pretty foreign. And I'm not here talking about the diploma mills. I'm talking about somebody who is tutored, something like Oxford or at Cambridge, and uh, walked through graduate work. If you would like more information about the Wittenberg Institute's British-styled research master's degree, then visit them on the web at wittenberginstitute.org forward slash PCR, or call them at area code 425-533-8659. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Are you tired of giving gifts that are as boring as elevator music? I mean... How many ties and dust-collecting paperweights does a person need? Well, Pirate Christian Radio has the perfect solution to boring gifts. The answer is Cloud9 Living. Cloud9 Living offers more than 1,600 unique and memorable experience gifts in 42 cities nationwide. Gifts such as hot air balloon rides, dinner cruises, stock car racing, skydiving, and combat aircraft dogfighting. 
Cloud9 Living has gifts for every taste and every budget. For more information on Cloud9 Living, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cloud9. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cloud9. You'll be glad that you did. Warning, somebody who claims to be getting direct revelation from God, whether they say it or not, they claim to be a prophet. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can support us and partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And the nice thing about that is that uh, with each crew member that joins, the more people that join the more it smooths out uh, our monthly income so that we can uh, count on that money to pay our bills, especially during the lean months. And, of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to partner with us with, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, um, real quick here. From the Love Revolution blog, that's the blog of um, Huffington Post contributor uh, George Ellerick. The name of the post is Cross, posted today by George Ellerick. Here's what George Ellerick now says regarding the cross of Christ. My thought on the cross, Jesus didn't die for our sins. Let me read that again. George Ellerick is now on, on the record as saying that Jesus didn't die for our sins. Really, what did he what was he doing there, George? Can you tell us? Okay, George continues. He says, "Well, Jesus died to show us that love is the answer to oppression." Mhm. Yeah, okay. That the seemingly powerless act is the most redemptive one. That by dying to ourselves, we then can demonstrate a new kind of humanity. So then the cross becomes a symbol of all the things countercultural that we should embrace. For a better world. Oh, isn't that just a loving, fluffy, care bear kind of gospel? Oh, that just sounds so demonic. Um, yeah, here's the problem, and that is, is that the Bible actually tells us what Jesus was doing on the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Okay, I'm going to be reading from the ESV. Are you ready? Let's let's compare what George Ellerick just said. That's right. George Ellerick just posted that Jesus didn't die on the cross for our sins. He died to show us that love is the answer to oppression. Mm-hmm. And that this powerless act is a redemptive one. And that by dying to ourselves, we can demonstrate a new kind of humanity. And so the cross is a symbol of all things countercultural that we should embrace for a better world. Okay, well, let's compare this to what the Apostle Paul wrote regarding the cross. Oh, and by the way, the Apostle Paul, 
his understanding of the cross comes directly from Jesus Christ. He learned it from Jesus Christ himself, because the apostle Paul was an, an apostle, one who was sent by Christ, and he was one who was untimely born, and he was an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. So I think he's got better credentials than George Ellerick. So let's let's take a look at what the Apostle Paul said regarding Christ's cross. Are you ready? Here's what Paul wrote. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, the good news that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered as of first importance what I also received. So he, this is, doesn't have its origin in the heart or the theologizing ego or the speculations of the Apostle Paul. No, no, no. What Paul's saying is, for what I delivered to you as of first, first importance is what I also received. Ready? That Christ died for our sins. Already we've got a problem. George Ellerick, in his theologizing ego and his internal speculations, has given us his opinion. And his opinion is, is that Jesus didn't die for our sins, but the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried on the third day and he was raised in accordance with the Scriptures. All right. So who are you going to believe? Because you can't have both. Jesus either did die for your sins or he didn't die for your sins. And no postmodern verbal gymnastics are going to be able to get around this. Either he did or he didn't. There are no other options. So who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe George Ellerick, the progressive emergent liberal who writes for the Huffington Post, or are you going to believe the Apostle Paul who received his gospel from Jesus Christ himself? Hmm? Who are you going to believe? <clears throat> if, you, if you're not sure, go with the Apostle Paul. Yeah, go with the Apostle Paul. Because the Apostle Paul is pointing out the fact that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, and what he's talking about there. Um, if you if you if you're just not sure, is that well the prophet Isaiah? Yeah, the prophet Isaiah kind of makes the same point in Isaiah chapter fifty three. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the, of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. But he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with the stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
Okay, so now who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe George Ellerick, who says Christ didn't die for our sins, or are you going to believe the Apostle Paul, who received his gospel from Jesus Christ, and by the way, the gospel he preaches also happens to comport really well, like perfectly, with what God, the Holy Spirit, revealed to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 53. Who are you going to believe? Trust me, you want to go with Paul and Isaiah on this one because what they 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 don't, they're not going with their own ideas both of them received this by revelation both Isaiah and Paul received it from the same source and that is God himself yep Christ truly was crucified for our sins regardless of what George Ellerick's theologizing ego might be telling you his theologizing ego obviously is darkened and is dead in trespasses and sins and shut off from the truth. You believe him to your own eternal detriment. <sighs> Talking about eternal detriment. Okay, one more story here. Um, I'm going to have to hang on to this subjectivity leads to apostasy thing for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, probably Monday's edition, because I'm hoping to do a uh, Friday light on tomorrow's edition of Fighting for the Faith. But uh, from the Sojourners uh, website, uh, a blog by Jim Wallace and Friends, Aaron Taylor uh, writes, asks this question, can Muslims follow the biblical Christ and still be Muslims? Here's what Aaron Taylor writes from the Sojourners blog. By the way, Sojourners, um, Jim Wallace's organization, is very well funded by George Soros, the um, avowed um, global Marxist. Um, <clears throat> we read... Uh, Aaron Taylor writes, Just lately I've been hearing a lot about the insider movement, which is what missionary experts refer to as Muslims who love and follow Jesus while remaining within the cultural fold of Islam. I can remember before moving to Senegal as a missionary, a, a thought flashed through my mind. I wonder if God might use me to initiate a movement of Muslims among uh, coming to biblical faith in Christ as part of refor a reformation movement within Islam. Um... Islam teaches that Christ is not the Son of God and that he is not God. How can there be a, quote, Reformation movement in Islam? Islam isn't compatible with biblical Christianity. The Quran is not compatible. In fact, it's openly hostile to biblical Christianity. Jesus didn't die on the cross for our sins. Jesus is not the Son of God. Jesus is not God. I mean, the, the Quran is pretty clear about this. So a reformation movement within Islam? No, you got to scrap the whole thing. The Quran is, it's a false revelation. <clears throat> we continue. Aaron Taylor opines. He says, well, it turned out to be a fleeting thought. Instead, I opted for the traditional apologetics approach, pointing out to Muslims why the New Testament is superior to the Quran and why they were wrong about denying the divinity of Jesus and the atonement. Now notice, I want to point something out here. In his piece, he admits that Muslims deny the divinity of Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for our sins. He admits that in his own piece, <clears throat> but we continue. He says, I never seriously questioned this approach until I read Carl uh, Metasaurus' uh, excellent book, Muslims, Christians, and Jesus. In his book, Carl shows the stories of his interactions with Muslims who deeply love Jesus and strive to follow his teachings. Law, law, law. They love Jesus and they love his morals and they love his ethics, but they don't believe that he is God in human flesh 
and they deny that he died on the cross for our sins. Do they really love the biblical Jesus then? No. They love the Jesus that the Quran teaches about. You know, the, the, the Quran affirms that Jesus was a prophet. But he didn't die on the cross for our sins, and, well, he wasn't resurrected, and, 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 and you know, he didn't really, he's not really God in human flesh. That, no, 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 no. Anyway, so, so Carl, in his book, talks about the fact that you know, there's Muslims who deeply believe, who deeply love Jesus and strive to follow his teachings. No, they don't love Jesus. They hate him because they deny his claim to being God. Yet they remain committed Muslims. I nearly wept thinking about how things could have been different if I had just trusted my original instincts. Why don't you trust the Bible instead and just put your instincts away? Anyway, he says, but now I have new questions, and they're a bit unnerving because they strike at the heart of what it means to be a Muslim and what it means to be a Christian. I've never heard that there are Muslim followers of Jesus who revere and strive to follow after the Jesus they see revealed in the Synoptic Gospels. But that would be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But they, 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 I assume, sorry, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but they don't go after the Johannine Jesus. Well, because that, that guy claims to be God. But I'm wondering if these same Muslims can find a place in their theology to accept the rest of the New Testament as well. No, they can't. And if they can and if they can, I'm wondering if Christians can find a place in their theology to make room for Muhammad as a pre-Messianic figure. No, 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 no. Muhammad's a false prophet. See, we're to test prophets, and if they turn out to teach something contrary to Scripture, they're false prophets. Good night. I mean, seriously, Sojourners is now basically musing about the idea about uh, us making room in Christianity for Muhammad being a prophet. I continue. I, I, I wish I was making this stuff up. I'm wondering if Christians can find a place in their theology to make room for Muhammad as a pre-Messianic figure pointing people to faith in Jesus, uh, the Messiah, a term the Quran affirms, by the way. Pre-Messianic figure? Muhammad comes 800 years. Or, well, maybe not 800. How many? Uh, six, 700 years after Christ. He's not pre-Messianic. He's post Muhammad was fully aware of the claims of Christianity, and he uh, denied them. <clears throat> anyway, so so pointing the way to people in, in Jesus as the Messiah, a term the Quran affirms by them, maybe not as, a, as authoritative as an Old Testament prophet, but perhaps on par with the status of local prophets in the New Testament. No, no, no. You, again, this is a complete confusion. The Bible's really clear. You're either a true prophet or a false prophet. And the, the book of Deuteronomy gives us the, the, the cases for how we're to test whether or not somebody's a true prophet or a false prophet. Number one, if they prophesy something's going to take place and it doesn't take place, they're a false prophet. Number two, if they teach you falsely about God, they are a false prophet. The, the New Testament doesn't have, you know, lesser, lesser authoritative prophets than the Old Testament. That's ridiculous. The, the Bible knows of only true prophets or false prophets. Anyway, let me continue. Aaron Taylor continues. He says, let's break this down. Because most Muslims can't bring themselves to say Jesus is God, Christians write them off as heretics. No, 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 no. No, wrong, wrong, wrong. Muslims are not heretics. Okay, heretic implies that there's somebody within the Christian faith who teaches other than what the Christian faith teaches. No, Muslims are idolaters. They believe in a false god. Allah is not the god of the Bible. He's a demon. Okay, that's what's going on here. They're not heretics. 
They're idolaters. There's a big difference. Now, let me just listen to this. Now, I have new questions, and they're built on unnerving because they strike at the heart of Christianity what it means to be a Muslim. Okay, let's break this down. Uh, uh, Most Muslims can't bring themselves to say Jesus is God. Christians write them off as heretics. The problem with this is that there's nowhere in the New Testament that says Jesus is God. That is a bald-faced lie. Aaron Taylor is absolutely lying. Let me give you some examples. Does the Bible say Jesus is God? Let's do some biblical work here. You have your Bibles. Flip on over to John chapter 1, verse 1. I read from the Greek. I know many of you don't know Greek, but it's kind of important at this point that I do so. Are you ready? And arche en halagos, kai halagos en prostontheon, kai theos en halagos. Translated, in the beginning was the word. Who was the word, by the way? Jesus. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. Who does John, in John chapter 1, verse 1, say that Jesus is? John is saying in John chapter 1, verse 1, that the Logos is God. Who is the Logos? Jesus is the Logos. Who is John saying that Jesus is? John is saying Jesus is God. Yeah, we've got some problems. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. No one has, verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. John 1, 18 again says that Jesus is God. Okay, fast forward to the end of the Gospel of John. Okay, you have Jesus appearing to his disciples after his resurrection. And if you remember, the first time that Jesus appeared to the disciples, one of the disciples was missing. That would be Thomas. Hence, we call him Doubting Thomas because Well, we find out that he says that he's not going to believe that Jesus has risen from the dead unless, unless he sees the nail prints himself, unless he sees him himself, okay? So, with that in mind, we read John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, Where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you you withhold forgiveness of any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Well, unless I see his hands in the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, 
Are you ready? Uh, let me read it from the Greek. Thomas said to him, Ha kurios mu kai ha theos mu. Translation, you are my Lord and my God. He wasn't saying, OMG. He was saying to Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. Does Jesus rebuke him? No, he does not. So here's what happens here. Jesus says to Thomas, you have believed. Believed what? That Jesus is his Lord and his God because you have seen me. But blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Believed what? That Jesus is Lord and God. Aaron Taylor here is lying to you. Okay, let's see here. Uh, Romans, um, uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 5. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, talking about the Jews, according to the flesh is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Yeah, the apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9, verse 5, says that Jesus the Christ is God over all. Titus chapter 2. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1, 8, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 John 5.20, And we know that God, the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. I just gave eight passages, eight passages that clearly say that Jesus is God. And yet Aaron Taylor of Sojourners makes this statement. The problem is that there's nowhere in the New Testament that says Jesus is God, so what we're doing is insisting on non-biblical language as a litmus test for biblical faith. Wrong. What we're insisting on is that biblical faith is based upon the confession of the biblical words. And I just gave eight passages, and I can give more, that clearly show, that that say that Jesus is God. Aaron Taylor of Sojourners is calling for people to make room in Christianity for Muslims who refuse to believe that Jesus is God, contrary to the Scriptures. And he's lying and saying that there's no verse that says Jesus is God. I just gave eight. How is that possible? If there's nowhere in the New Testament that says that Jesus is God, how was I able to produce eight passages that say that Jesus is God? Aaron Taylor is lying to you. Yeah, crazy, crazy stuff going on today in Christianity. I'm going to go... get something cold to drink and settle down and <clears throat> over the break so that we can get into our sermon review. I'm a little bothered today. Yeah, it, the, the, all I, I just cannot believe the statements that are being said today. 
and and there's Christians out there going, oh yeah, wow, that's I didn't. Okay, there's no, there's not one verse in the Bible that says Jesus is God. That's right. There's not one. There's eight. I just gave them. <clears throat> so I'm gonna you know, get something cold to drink and settle down. <clears throat> so we can get into our sermon review. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Are you tired of giving gifts that are as boring as elevator music? I mean, how many ties and dust-collecting paperweights does a person need? Well, Pirate Christian Radio has the perfect solution to boring gifts. The answer is Cloud9 Living. Cloud9 Living offers more than 1,600 unique and memorable experience gifts in 42 cities nationwide. Gifts such as hot air balloon rides, dinner cruises, stock car racing, skydiving, and combat aircraft dogfighting. Cloud9 Living has gifts for every taste and every budget. For more information on Cloud9 Living, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cloud9. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash 
Cloud 9. You'll be glad that you did. Right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Yeah, this is a sermon that we didn't get to yesterday because I decided to, well, you know, take Joseph away from the um, purpose-driven dreamers. Good, the bad, and the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via the Christian Life Center in Rolla, Missouri. The head pastor there is uh, Pastor Eddie Jones, and he will not be preaching. Instead, his wife will uh, be taking the pulpit. And she will be preaching a sermon based upon the movie August Rush. It's just weird saying words like that. She will be preaching about the movie August Rush. Yeah. Now, as we uh, listen to this sermon, what I'd like you to do... We're going we're gonna to ask some tough questions here. I'm not going to be politically correct, and I'm not going to pull any punches. She's going to make some claims that, you know, God told her and her husband to do this, and God told her and her husband to do that. Or, and she's going to make some claims about what we ought to be doing. Now, here's the question that needs to be answered. Did God really tell her to do those things? Did God really say to do those things? Did God really say for her to teach these things? Not if the Bible's true. No, if, if what God has revealed about himself and his word is true, then she's not really hearing from God. Tough call to make. But you got to think that way. Now, from the outside, from outside appearances, I mean, this sermon begins with an update on her husband's missions trip or, you know, uh, humanitarian aid trip to Haiti. That he recently took. I mean, that's talk. You know, hey, that's that's the kind of stuff where your the fruit is uh, loving and serving your neighbor. But keep in mind, even Muslims give alms to the poor. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So, with that in mind, uh, let's get into this uh, sermon. God at the movies, uh, August Rush. The wife of Pastor Eddie Jones, Christian Life Center, Rolla, Missouri. Here we go. Good morning, good morning. As you notice, I'm not Eddie Jones. Uh, I'm as uh, I'm a significant other. Eddie and and the team, the Haiti team, are on their way to Haiti this morning. Uh, 
Terry Brookshire, Josh Schaefer, Katie Wells, Caitlin Lewis, and Stacey Waldman, and Eddie Jones, also known as my hunk of hunk of burning love. <laughs> they spent the night in Miami last night, did a little, um, um, what do you call it, Getting not a get to know each other, because they know each other, but uh, talking about what's, what's planned for Haiti. And um, so this morning they did devotion, and now are fixing to board the plane this afternoon at about 1.30 our time. And so I just want to take a, a moment here. Listen, we have, they have a deal called followtheimpact.com, and you can, they've already got pictures on there, and you can look at what they're doing day by day. Now, that will be uh, if they have Internet. So, but today they have Internet, so they've already posted some pictures. So go on there daily and, uh, and follow them and what they're doing and what you have sent them over there to do, Okay. Let's say a prayer for him this morning. God, I pray today for, for the team as they are traveling to Haiti and, and as they are making an impact on the Haiti people and to, and to show them the love of Christ. God, I pray that you surround them with angels, that you go with them, that you protect them, that you guide their footsteps and open the doors that you would have them walk through. Most important, God, I pray that you open the hearts of the Haitian people to receive your love. God, I pray today that as, as I bring the word, that you will be the one that is shown through those words. And I pray that, that I would step aside and only speak what you have put in, in our hearts today. Amen. Got to pause there. Uh, notice uh, she only wants to speak what God has put in her heart today. Well, that's a problem. Pastors are not supposed to preach what God has, quote, put in their hearts. Yeah, Christian pastors are to preach the word, what's been put in the book, not what's been put in their hearts. Yeah, yeah. while this is happening, I might want to look up something in the book of Nehemiah. Let's continue. Listen. I can hear it everywhere. In the wind. In the air. In the light. It's all around us. Uh, what you're listening to is a sound bite, well, a movie clip from the movie August Rush. All you have to do is open yourself up. All you have to do is open yourself up. All you have to do is listen. Uh, the Bible says nothing of the sort.
Hello, Porky. Where's your little friend? I, I don't know, Mr. Mannix. Okay, we'll go find him where your big butt's mine. Where I've grown up. Evan! Evan! He tried to stop me from hearing the music. But when I'm alone, it builds up from inside me. And I think if I could learn how to play it, they might hear me. They would know I was theirs and find me. Today, you need to ask yourself, and all of us at one time in our lives, or several times in our lives, what are we here for? What were you created for? You do have a purpose and you do have a destiny. What happens is we don't take ownership of that purpose or that destiny. Okay, this is the uh, this is another iteration of the new purpose-driven gospel. It is a false gospel. I mean, it sounds so great, but what this is really doing is kind of solving an existential problem. You know, what is the meaning of life? What is my purpose? Now, the reality is, is that that's a, you know, that's a really tough question to answer. Okay? And it's best to speak in ways that are general to the human population. You know, like the Calvinists talk about the fact that it's, it's our job, you know, the, our purpose is to glorify God. That's a, that's a better way to speak about this. But the way the purpose-driven folks are talking about this, is that this is somehow some kind of a hook that they're using to draw you into their church. You come to our church, and we're going to teach you how to discover your individual purpose. Yeah, you see this movie that you, you're you living in where you're the star? Well, Jesus is ready to make a walk-on appearance uh, on in your movie as your life coach or the uh, the revealer of this secret purpose that you can't find any other way until you... Um, well, decide to become a Christ follower. And then you can discover this purpose that God has been kind of holding out on you. Uh, he, he, hasn't discuss, he hasn't let it not be known to you, and, until, and, and he won't until you become a Christ follower. Yeah, this is not the gospel. This is something completely different. And this is really kind of solves uh, existential issues that we all face, especially in our 21st century very postmodern uh, information age kind of stuff. You know, the 200 years ago, people living on farms and getting up every morning at the crack of dawn to milk the cows and then going out to tend to the fields and things, they, they didn't have time for this kind of onks. And, you know, if anything, they, they really kind of, you know, they knew what their purpose was. Their purpose was to get up every day and do their chores and, and feed their family and, and stuff like that. But into, we're disconnected from the land today. And, uh, you know, many of us, we, you know, we live in our air-conditioned homes, and we get into our air-conditioned cars, and we drive to our air-conditioned workplace, and then we go shopping at our air-conditioned stores. I mean, and everything's prepared for us. I mean, you know, when was the last time you had to, uh, you know, slaughter, you know, Bessie, the family cow, in order to, you know, to, to harvest her for the year's supply of meat that she can provide you with? It doesn't happen. 
And as a result of it, we all there's a sense that a lot of people feel in this type of context of human living of, of meaninglessness. And what's happening here in these seeker-driven churches is, is that they're providing so-called meaning by, you know, basically adapting, modifying, and editing the biblical message in such a way that, you know, God has this dream, this vision. He'll give you a set, he'll give you a purpose and it's big, it's grand, it's, it, it and, and it, you know, and when it's all done, you are going to change the world. Yeah. Hmm. You take ownership of your purpose and you will change your destiny. You said, what? God has a plan for me? Yes, he does. He created you. So therefore, he has a plan for you. And so sometimes what is keeping us from taking ownership of God's creative plan is we don't realize what our destiny and our purpose, what it is. So what is it? It is what you are searching for in life, your destiny, your purpose. It's what you are searching for in life, and it is God's plan for your life. God gives us two things. He gives us choice, and he gives us responsibility. We need to let that sink in. God gives us two things. He gives us choice. He lets us choose whether we're going to follow him or not. Uh, Actually, no, uh, that's not true. We are dead in trespasses and sins and incapable of choosing God. I know that comes as a shock to some of you, but the clear biblical passages say this in no uncertain terms. It is not we who choose God. It is God who chooses us. It is God who gives us faith. It is God who replaces our heart of stone with a heart of flesh. We are dead in trespasses and sins. And you read First John, it's very clear that you know those who become children of God do so not of a human decision or a human will, but they are born of God. And God works that regeneration and raises us from the dead and gives us faith in him through the means that he has established to do so. Yeah, what does Romans 10 say? Faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. You read uh, Peter's uh, Pentecost sermon. You know, he preaches, and and what does it say? People were cut to the quick. What shall we do, brothers? Repent, be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of your sins. So when you look at what the scripture says, dead sinners are regenerated through the means that God has established. And so this choice stuff, this is rank, rank Pelagianism. It denies the biblical doctrine of original sin, or if you're a Calvinist, total depravity. This is not compatible with biblical Christianity. And so now what are people choosing? They're not choosing to repent and be forgiven. They're choosing to become a Christ follower so that they can find out their destiny. Yeah, this is a totally different gospel. This is not biblical Christianity. This is not biblical doctrine. And you'll notice that these women, this woman who's preaching is making these assertions that are grounded firmly in the air. They are not assertions that are exegeted out of any clear biblical passages. No, she just makes uh, 
we've been given choice and we've been given responsibility and we have to, we have to, we have, where does the Bible say any of this stuff? It doesn't. And he also gives us that responsibility that when we're going to follow him, we need to follow his purpose for our lives. Evan in this, uh, Evan is a young boy in this movie and due to circumstances, he was put up for adoption. This is one of my favorite movies, by the way. Has anybody else watched this movie? Most everybody. He was growing up in a boy's home. He had a purpose. He had a destiny and he has a gift. And he believes that if he can just somehow bring that gift and bring it out, it will bring his family. It will bring his parents. It will connect him to his parents again. Not everyone believed Evan. In this boy's home, there were bullies that would try to convince him to settle for status quo. But he didn't settle. He didn't settle for that orphanage mentality. And you may say, well, what's the orphanage mentality? It's, oh, oh, oh look, look where I am. Oh, Karen, you don't know what my background is. You don't know where I've come from. You're settling in that orphanage mentality. You don't know that I've been dealt a bad hand. You don't know where I've come from. You don't know that I'm not good enough. All of those is the orphanage mentality. All of those is lies of the enemy. So don't settle for status quo. Don't let... Notice she's actually exegeting the movie, not the Bible. This is blasphemy. Circumstances determine you or your destiny. When I was watching this movie, it reminded me of a story in Genesis 37, and I'm not going to read the scriptures from it. I challenge you to go and read the story about a 17-year-old young man named Joseph. Now, funny that you would challenge me to do that, um, uh, Mrs. Eddie Jones. The reason why it's funny that you would challenge me is because, well, I did that yesterday. And, uh, in fact, those of you listening to this uh, this program if you haven't heard yesterday's edition of Fighting for the Faith, that it would be September 22nd, 2010, I did a segment entitled Taking Joseph Away from Purpose-Driven Dreamers. And I read almost 10 chapters out of the book of Genesis and taught on it yesterday to show that what this woman is about to say completely misses the point, and it's not taught in that text what she's claiming. If you haven't heard it, then go back and listen to it. And the reason why you need to go back and listen to that segment and stop right here is because when you know the truth about what the Bible teaches regarding Joseph, then the lie that you are about to hear this woman speak is going to be in bold, neon, flashing red lights. And you're going to know that this is not this woman is not teaching anything regarding sound biblical doctrine nor the counsel or will of God. She is teaching something foreign to the scriptures. It shouldn't surprise you though. Just the mere fact that this lady is preaching should tell you something about what she thinks of his word. We continue. He was Jacob's son. He was Jacob's son, uh, and, and Jacob's uh, wife and him was in old age when they had Joseph. All of his half-brothers that was by uh, Jacob's other wives, they hated Joseph. 
In Joseph's life he, was, life, he was loved, he was hated, he was favored, he was abused, he was tempted and trusted, he was exalted and cast down. And you'll find that in Genesis 37. His brothers hated him. And Joseph knows this. In verse 4, it talks about uh, that they couldn't say a kind word to him. And Joseph, he proceeds to tell about his dreams in verse number 5 through 11. And he tells of his dreams. And he, he goes to tell his brothers. Now, he knows his brothers don't like him. But for some reason, he wants to go tell them his dreams. Now, that's lack of tact. Now, you know somebody don't like you. You're not going to go tell them your dreams unless you want to show off. And I don't know if Joseph was trying to show off here or not. I know that he had two dreams. Okay, got to stop for a second here. <clears throat> there's, there's an equivocation happening here. There, and it's based upon it, – it, there's there's like a bait and switch, a, a, a tricky thing going on regarding the definition of the word dream, okay? Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. In, in one sense, the word dream means, well, last night I got into bed, I fell asleep, and I had a dream. And in my dream, I saw this or I did that or whatever. It, it, it's referring to you know the mental activity and the images that you see while you're sleeping. Okay, that's one definition of a dream. Another definition of a dream is you know uh, last night I went to sleep and it, while I was asleep, God revealed something to me in a dream and He spoke to me and told me something about the future. Okay. Now that's the sense of the dream that uh, that happened to Joseph. Okay, we find out those dreams were actually planted in his brain from God, and they revealed something that would take place in the future. They were prophetic dreams. Okay. Now we have other examples of this type of thing happening in the Scripture. You think of Daniel; he had something like this occur to him. Even his father Jacob, you know, when he fell asleep at uh, Bethel, or yeah, um, I think it's, is it Bethel. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, uh, yeah, the house of God, and um, and he saw uh, a, a you know a, a, like a staircase or a ladder ascending to heaven, and, and angels descending and ascending on this. You know, so and God speaking to him, he had that dream, and so there's different examples in the scripture of this happening. Now, this is not normative; it's kind of an exceptional thing that occurs. Okay. Uh, or you think of Peter, the apostle Peter, where you know he's on the t- uh, he's on the rooftop and he falls into a trance, is what the scripture says, and he saw uh, you know, like a blanket being lowered out of heaven with all kinds of uh, unclean critters in it, and God saying, you know, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he said, no way, <laughs> that doesn't look like lunch. Anyway, so the, those are that's one that is one. Uh, definition of dream. So we have dream, you know, referring to the the images and the things that occur while we're asleep. We have a dream, uh, God speaking to us while we're asleep, revealing it's a prophetic dream. And then there's another definition of a dream, okay? And it would go along the lines of this, okay? You think of somebody who is gifted and talented. Uh, if you uh, if you follow America's Got Talent, they, they just had the uh, conclusion of that, uh, this year's edition of America's Got Talent, uh, the the contest show uh, last week, and there was a there's a ten year old girl who uh, sings like she's thirty. Uh, her name is Jackie Ivanko, and Jackie Ivanko is she's an opera singer, but she's ten years old, and she has a dream, and her dream is to be able to be a professional 
opera singer to sing for crowds of people and to and to be the best at what she is you know at what she does that's her dream now that that dream that she has is really uh, her uh, you can think of it almost like a daydream she's imagining herself you know using this talent that she has and excelling in it in such a way that people from all over the world come to see her sing and she's able to use the talent that God has given her to to that effect okay and uh, and so i mean that's when you look at it, you know, there's other definitions of dream, but you got what's going on here, so you have to use it in context. What she's doing is that she's taking um, Joseph's dream, which was not Joseph didn't. Joseph was not a 17 year old going, you know, the thing I really want to do in life is I I want to excel to such a degree that my brothers and my father. And uh, and 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 my brother's moms that they all bow down to me. That that's that's the dream that I have for my life. No, that's not what happened. Joseph had a prophetic dream whose origin was the very mind of God itself. God revealing to Joseph something that was going to take place in the future. It didn't. So the dream that joseph had didn't have its origin in joseph's desires for his life or anything like that okay it was prophetic and it was and it's not normative and as i read the story yesterday there were other people who had prophetic dreams okay whom god spoke to while they were asleep the chief cupbearer the chief baker of pharaoh and pharaoh himself also had dreams Okay, and they all needed to be interpreted, and Joseph was able to interpret them. But you know, but so what's happening here is is that this woman's playing fast and loose with the scripture because number one, the Bible nowhere says nowhere. And again, if you don't if you don't believe me, read the thing cover to cover, and if you find the passage that says that God it has a specific dream for your life that he's waiting for you to act you know to show that you're interested in hearing it from him so that he can reveal it to you that if you find that verse email it to me I'll repent and say oh I was wrong here's the bible verse but in all of my reading of the scriptures you know over the course of my lifetime I have yet to run across this verse I don't think it exists in fact I know it doesn't so what she's doing is she's using the Joseph story and using the prophetic dream that he had, which was a very specific prophecy because God was going to use Joseph to preserve the line of the Messiah, the promised seed, the one that was promised in the Garden of Eden, who would crush the head of the serpent and have his heel bruised in the process, Jesus, God uses Joseph to miraculously save the line of the Messiah through a seven-year famine. And Joseph suffers greatly as a result of this calling on his life. It, you know, it ended up with him going into slavery and then, and then going into prison. And spending, you know, what, 12, 13 years of his life, either as a slave or a prisoner, and all unjustly. He didn't do anything wrong. So, I mean, those are things to keep in mind here. So what she's doing is she's taking Joseph's, God's miraculous intervention in Joseph's life, and 
universalizing this dream that he had in such a way and then switching the definition in doing so, okay? So Joseph has a prophetic dream, but she's here talking about not a prophetic dream, but God's dream purpose for your life. And you're going, huh? Yeah, you got to pay attention to this stuff. It's a, it's slippery things that are going on here. I mean, when you when you when you're operating with two different definitions simultaneously, in order to make it appear that uh, you're dealing you're you're talking about the same thing, when the Bible text says it is clear that it's not, this is this is deception. This is cult like deception. Dreams. And so he went and told his brothers that made them hate him even more and started to make plans to kill his dreams. Listen, just because you have dreams, first of all, you might want to use tack. When you- uh, no, the, his brothers didn't want to kill his dreams. They wanted to kill him. Read the text. Tell someone about it. Second of all, you need to realize that some people are not going to like it. They're not going to like it. And the enemy will try to destroy you. And he will just try to destroy your dreams. But I love what Charles Swindoll says. He says, life is 10% what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. And now for some more, quote, Bible uh, in the form of a movie. Picked him up in the thruway outside of Montrose, just wandering down the road. Said he's uh, following the music. The moon told him to. Yeah, kid's a space cadet. Look, I got a busy day ahead of me. All right, big guy, out you go. This Jeffrey's guy wasn't in his office yet, so I left him a message to pick you up right here when he does. Here, hold on. Now, don't lose it. He doesn't show in an hour, so give him another call. You can handle that, right? Here's 12 bucks. Damn, kid, put it in your pocket. You may say, but Karen, you don't understand. Following, following my dreams may take me down a road that I don't have a clue where I'm going to end up. It may take me down the road of the unknown. Are you only willing to take the road of the known? Uh, where does the Bible talk about following my dreams into the world of the unknown as opposed to the known? Where does the Bible teach any of this? This isn't Christian sanctification. This is absolutely ego-puffing delusions of grandeur. It sounds so humble, too. I mean, oh, don't you understand that if I follow my dreams, I have to go into the world of the unknown? It's like she's like a saleswoman trying to close a sale. The problem is what she's selling is false doctrine that takes our eyes off of Christ who is the author and perfecter of our faith, and puts it onto some kind of subjective feeling we have in the side of our heart so that we can follow some grand purpose for our lives. This isn't, this isn't taught in the scriptures. This is absolute bovine scatology. And it's not from God. 
This is satanic because it takes your eyes off of Christ. Or the unknown. You know, when Eddie and I felt like it was in, God had put in our hearts to plant a church. Okay, now she said that God put it in their hearts to plant the church. You know, a Christian Life Center in Rolla, Missouri. I have to ask the question. Was that really God, the, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who inspired them and writ it on, wrote it on their hearts to start this church? Well, if they're not teaching sound biblical doctrine and they're teaching falsely about God and are being disobedient to God's word that says that a woman does not teach in the church, did God, was it really God who inspired them to start this church? You're thinking, man, Chris, that's harsh. Yeah. That's what needs to be looked at as harshly as that. I'll basically come out and say it. God did not inspire them to start this church. They're not preaching sound biblical doctrine, and they're being disobedient to God's word. I don't care how many lives they impact in Haiti. I don't care how many people make a decision to find out their purpose in life. If they're being disobedient to what God's word clearly says, it's not God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who inspired them to start this church. It was the road of the unknown. We moved to Rolla, Missouri, not knowing any of you, not knowing anybody, Eddie and I in Labriska. But we knew that God had put that dream down in our hearts. We knew that he had put that in our spirits, and we knew that we had to do it. And, we, and along came with that the road of the unknown. I remember riding on the back of a, a Joe and Tina Skiles, good friends of ours. They lived right up the road at that time. And I remember getting on the back of the uh, six-wheeler that they had and riding on the back of there, and me and Eddie was talking, and I said, but, and we was talking about starting a church here. And I said, but what if nobody comes? It was the road of the unknown. You got to be willing to take that. Here, Evan has. Now she's exegeting her own life. She's twisted and mangled the story of Joseph from Genesis 37. She's preaching on a movie, and now she's, she's exegeting her own life. This is not what a Christian pastor does. Sorry, this is the behavior. Of a wolf has decided to take the path of the unknown and by the way that's how dreams work you will have to take the path of, of the unknown it's scary it's risky it's unsafe and there's no guarantee but maybe just maybe he knew that there had to be separations of good intentions and taking action I read somewhere one time where it says good, inti- good intentions without action is only a dream. you got to start putting your actions with your dream. I-, I remember a saying, it's not in the Bible, that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I think there's a lot of truth to that statement, don't you? Your future doesn't lie ahead of you waiting to happen. It lies deep inside of you waiting to be discovered. It does. <laughs> okay, got to back that up. <laughs> wow. Yeah, what's inside of me? Jesus says, out of the heart comes murderous thoughts, adultery, and sin. It's out of the heart. 
But, well, according to her, I mean, there's some great things inside of you. Listen up again. Action is only a dream. You've got to start putting your actions with your dream. Your future doesn't lie ahead of you waiting to happen. It lies deep inside of you waiting to be discovered. Uh, see, your future's deep down inside of your heart, and you have to discover it with God's help. Right. It doesn't, it's not way out there. It's inside of you. God put it in there. He put it in your DNA. Uh, where does the Bible say that? Where does the Bible say that God put my future inside of my heart and down deep in my DNA? Where on earth does the Bible say any of this? He put it inside of you. Some of us can't, we, we can't persevere in our dreams sometimes for days. Let's on like Joseph. It was years before he, he seen his dreams come to fruition. Uh, they weren't his dreams. Though were, those were prophetic visions that God gave him regarding the future. Genesis 37 and verse 19 says, Here comes that servant, they said to each other. His brothers were shouting this out to him. Here comes that dreamer. Here he comes. Here he comes down the road. And they was meaning, meaning it sarcastic. But I said, man, what a thing to say about somebody. Here she comes. Here She dreams. Here he comes. They don't just settle for status quo. So if you don't dream and then put it into action, it can not only change your destiny, but it can also change your family's destiny. If you read in in Genesis where it talks about Joseph, it eventually his dreams saved his family from starvation. So how, how do I connect with my destiny? How do I connect with my purpose? Number one, dream. Discover what's inside of you. You mean sin? For which I need to repent and be forgiven? No, that's not what she, she's not preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins. She's basically preaching that there's something really amazingly great inside of you. Deep down inside God in, in your DNA has hidden your future. And so if you want to get discover this future that God has for you, step number one, law. Step number one is you need to dream. Get busy dreaming. That's step number one. <clears throat> Which of the apostles taught this? Show me clearly in the writings of either Paul, James, Peter, Jude, John, or the author of the book of Hebrews, uh, or either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Uh, show me in any of the writings of the New Testament where any, any of the disciples taught this. Which of them said Inside of you is this grand dream that God has for your life, and you need to you need to to tease that out. And the and the step to doing it is step number one: dream. Show me one clear passage that says anything remotely like this. Discover what God has placed inside of you, and what makes you come alive. Number two, believe. Believe what? Believe Christ for the forgiveness of my sins? Christians, I mean, from the time of the New Testament, have been called believers. Believers in whom? Not in themselves. Believers in Christ. For what? For the forgiveness of sins and for the the blessed hope of eternal life. 
Achievement begins with belief. Believing in yourself. Believe in yourself. Yeah, see, that's I'm the problem. Why would I want to believe in myself? I'm I when, when I examine my life in light of God's law, in in light of what God has revealed, what his will is for my life. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Read the 10 commandments and read them positively rather than negatively. Okay? When you get to a passage that says thou shalt not commit adultery, you can read it this way. God's will for you is for you to be to love and honor and be faithful to your spouse. That's God's will for you. It says do not covet. Okay, read it positively. What is God's will for you? That you are satisfied with the gifts that he's given you to provide for your needs and to not covet other people's stuff because that's idolatry to put things above god but to to fear love and trust and delight in god in such a way that you count the blessings that you have and that you're satisfied with what god has given you do not murder read it positively god's will for you is that you love and serve your neighbor and care for him in his bodily needs and in, in defending him and, 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 and to not murder your neighbor, but be there as a help and aid to him, as a friend that he can rely on who's got his back. That's God's will for you. See that? You, listen, d- figuring out God's will for your life is as simple as reading God's word. You want to know what God's will is? Read his word. It tells you what his will is. It's his will that you are holy. It is his will that you daily repent and take up your cross and follow him. Consider yourself a dead man walking and that you love and serve your neighbor, that you share the gospel, call people to repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and teach your neighbor to know who God is and what he's done for them. And that you don't find this in your heart. Because we are dead in trespasses and sins, and out of the heart comes all sinful wretchedness. This is what Jesus taught. What this woman is doing is is pointing you away from what God wants you to do, and that is to learn his will and his word. Be trans to read the scriptures and let it transform your mind and renew your mind. That's what the scriptures say. He said Dream and dream and believe in yourself. No, I don't believe in myself at all. Like in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Yeah, I'm the tax collector. I can't even lift my eyes to heaven because I know what I've done. I know I don't deserve anything from God. And in, in, in reality, not only do I not deserve anything from God, I because I'm so sinful and wretched, he could fault me for stealing his air and using it to breathe. I don't even deserve to be breathing. That's how much of a sinner I am. And so are you. I don't believe in myself. I've repented of that. There's nothing good in me. I boast in Christ and what he has done and what he has done for me. 
and what he does through me. It's not me, it's him. Is she preaching Christ or is she preaching you? She's preaching you. This is exactly in line with the, what, what caused Satan to fall. He got all puffed up in himself. I will arise. I will ascend to the highest heaven. I will do this. I will do that. This is satanic. You believe in yourself and there's no limit to what you can do and to what God can do. You have to believe in what you believe in, just like Evan. He believed inside of himself that, hey, man, if I could just get this gift out, there's something different about me, and it's going to connect me to my family. He believed in himself when nobody else believed, his attitude. It has been said that your attitude is the master key to life's little locks. Sometimes we don't go anywhere in our life because of where our attitude takes us. Sometimes we do not go anywhere in life because of where our attitude takes us. And the fourth thing is passion. I love what one guy says, said, passion. One person with passion is better than 40 who are merely interested. We should be passionate about what God has done for us. We should be passionate, if we're Christ followers, about what God has done for us and who he is to us. Don't, st- don't settle for status quo in your relationship with God. You become passionate with God? Wow. What he can use you to do. Passionate about what he has instilled in you. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. This is apparently some inspiring movie clip to show everybody that, see, what she's saying is true because it was in the movie August Rush, which is not found in the Bible at all. 
anybody else can play the guitar like that? <laughs> wow. One of the myths we believe is if we're not doing things just like everyone else, then we're not doing it right. That's not true. You need to recognize there is greatness inside of you. You need Wow. Yeah, in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves, the Apostle Paul predicted, and this is not a good thing. This is a bad thing. This Again, this is 180 degrees opposite of what the Bible calls us to do. Jesus says to deny yourself. This woman's teaching you, there's great thing in, inside of you. You need to believe in yourself. This is what the road to hell sounds like. You need to recognize that your limitations and your excuses, are you willing to accept that sets your boundaries? Don't let fear, don't let inadequacy or your limitations set you down because they will if you let them. What you expect from yourself and your life has a direct effect on what you will get out of life. Go with Barbie on a journey across the ocean. Oh, la, la. To a place where dreams come alive. You can do this. I know it. It's true. Magic happens when you believe in yourself. Look at where you're going. And I'm not talking about, please don't take me wrong. This I'm not talking about going out and making huge amounts of money. Come, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your relationship with God. And I'm talking about what God has instilled for you. Are you just going to live day to day, in and out, status quo? Are you going to do what God's intended for you to do? And that is reaching other people and bringing them to Christ is the most important thing that you could ever do. Now, I agree. Uh, reaching other people and bringing them to Christ is the most important thing you can ever do. Well, if that's the case, then everybody at that church needs to take them to some other church because this woman's not pointing us to Christ. She's pointing us inside of ourselves. But see, inside of ourselves, that's where all the problem, that's where the sewage comes from. Don't play like anyone else. Play like only you can. Don't play like anyone else. Play like only you can. Now, when I first started playing the bass, there was not very many girls that played the bass. But I did not let that stop me. This is something I enjoy doing, so I, I taught myself how to do that. And I, I had to determine inside of myself, first of all, not to compare myself to others. We're not hearing anything from the Bible here at all. In uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 18, this is what Jesus said. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Many Bible scholars point out the fact that Jesus is making a reference to Isaiah chapter 14. Let me read to you. In Isaiah chapter 14, you kind of have this thing that's braided together. You have Isaiah speaking against the king of Babylon and at the same time, actually uh, speaking against Satan and revealing something about the nature of Satan. We read, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid lo the nations low. 
You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high, and I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself like the Most High. Yet what's he doing here? This is dreaming, is it not? Dreaming along the lines of wanting to do something great, so great that he's greater than God. Self-focused, and this is what's burbling out of his heart. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities, who did not let his prisoners go home, all the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb? But you are cast out, away from your grave, like a loathed branch, clothed with the slain, those pierced by the sword who go down to the stones of the pit, like a dead body trampled underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land and you have slain your people. May the offspring of evildoers never more be named. Yeah. The one who exalts himself, God says, Jesus said, will be humbled. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. Is this sermon teaching you to Humble yourself before a holy and just God? Or is this a complete exercise in self-exaltation, self-delusion, self-focus? This isn't a denial of self. This is an embracing and believing in self. So yeah, she's right. It's really important for us to point people to Christ, which is why I'm taking the time to review this sermon so that Maybe some in this congregation in Rolla, Missouri, will hear the truth and realize that they are being led astray. They're being pointed to themselves rather than to Christ. They are being told to dream big dreams and being told that this is somehow Christian, what God's will is for them. No, it's not. The Bible doesn't teach any of this nonsense. In fact, the Bible speaks very plainly against this. That will destroy your dreams. That will destroy your destiny when you start comparing yourself to others. God didn't make you like other people. He made you like you. He created you. You were made in his image. You were made in his image. Now, uh, What about the fall? Yeah, Adam and Eve were perfectly reflected the image of God. But then they sinned, remember that part? So I am not like Adam and Eve in the sense of like Adam and Eve before they fell. I am exactly like them after the fall. Now that doesn't say that I, well, then that means I'm God. No, you are not God. I don't want that responsibility. When I get to the point that I can listen to six billion people at one time complain and pray and do whatever they do and talk to them and answer their needs, then I can become a God. Until then, I don't have no business thinking I'm a God. 
God created you in his image. He created inside of you a purpose and a destiny. Joseph's dreams did come to pass. He had to go through a lot of things that could have limited him. But if you'll find, if you'll, you'll find, you'll read in Joseph, about Joseph in Genesis, that he trusted in God. God gives God-sized dreams to people with God-sized hearts. Really, where does the Bible say that? Where in the Bible does it say that God gives God-sized dreams to people with God-sized hearts? Scripture is very clear that our heart's the problem. Out of our heart comes all wickedness and sinfulness. That we are dead in trespasses and sins and the desires of our heart run completely contrary to the will of God. God gives God-sized dreams to people with God-shaped hearts. There comes a special moment in everyone's life, a moment for which that person was born. That special opportunity when he or she seizes it. And fulfills their mission. Really, where does the Bible teach this? Seriously, where on earth does the Bible teach this? A mission for which you and I were uniquely qualified. In that moment, we find greatness. And it is our finest hour. You know, I, I grew up in, uh, you know, I spent my high school years in very legalistic, uh, uh, fundamentalist type uh, Christianity, a Nazarene church focused on the family type uh, stuff. And I remember growing up in the 80s, hearing plenty of sermons and chapel presentations at the, uh, the Christian school that I attended that basically made the point that, um, that movies are the tool of the devil. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, it just seems so extreme at the time. And now I'm beginning to wonder if maybe the, what they were saying was right. Because this woman is preaching based upon a movie, and what I'm hearing is satanic doctrine. Just, you know, just a thought. Thank <laughs> you. 
this is apparently, you know, all part of the sermon. It's important that you take all this in, you know, because she's preaching from the movie August Rush. Can't you just feel your heart being inspired to seize your God-sized dream inside of your God-shaped heart? Oh, can't you just... Oh, yeah. It's, you know. that poor orphan boy i mean he reached inside of himself and found his god-given musical talented dream so that he could it's just like the bible stories except for different are great after all. You don't need to hear about sin and the cross and the forgiveness of sins and humbling yourself and denying yourself. No, 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 no. See, this movie is teaching you how to embrace yourself, to magnify yourself, to focus on yourself, to live the big dream that God has placed inside of yourself. can't wait to hear the altar call after this uh, you can you just imagine how it's going to go are you are you tired of not seizing your dream are you going to come now to the altar and bend your knee and say god i'm ready to be great repeat after me Lord, I am so wonderful because you have made me so wonderful. Thank you that I am so wonderful, Lord. Forgive me for not realizing how wonderful I really was because you've made me wonderful and destined me for great, 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 great greatness. Oh, Lord, I ask that you help me achieve my greatness because I am sick and tired of not being great anymore, and I repent of being ordinary and mediocre and just doing ordinary strange things. I promise to be a superhero and uh, always remember the little people after I've achieved the great things that you have set aside for me inside of my heart so that I can be great. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you for making me so great. Amen.
minutes of this movie is this woman going to play? Yeah, you can just see uh, the name of this sermon should be Me the Movie in 3D. Or you can rename it. Yeah, rather than the movie Despicable Me, this is How Wonderful Me. Oh, wonderful me. for Oh, how great me in 3D. have Shirley MacLaine off in the background going, I am God. Did you notice that when she said that, uh, you know, I'm not God, but, uh, you know, when I can listen to the prayers of six billion people, then, then, then she kind of held out hope that maybe we can be gods, didn't it? Is that what it sounded like to you? So what are you doing? Oh, here here comes the closing of the sale. She hasn't preached nothing from the Bible. Nothing. Everything she said completely contradicted by God's word. So now here comes uh, now, now here comes the part where you're supposed to repent. Okay, here here it comes. What what are we repenting of? Our sinfulness? Are we going to be forget? Are we going to hear about Christ and Him crucified for our sins? Or are we going to be here about Christ crucified for our dreams? Cue sappy music. What are you doing with the gift that God has put inside of you? You know, it's funny that you would ask that question because you know um, that what I'm doing with the gift of discernment that God has given me—it's it, a gift of the Holy Spirit. Look it up in the Scripture, and the gift to teach. I'm using it to expose false teachers like you. Are you uh, using it to bring your family to him? So that they can find out the, the dream inside of their hearts and experience greatness? To Christ? Which one? The one who calls us to deny ourselves? Are you just living day by day? Status quo. Let's you know, I, I like the status quo of my life. I like it when it's ordinary and predictable and in a routine. It makes things so much easier. Yeah, you wake up, you put your clothes on, you go to work, you finish your work, you go home. Yeah, you have dinner, spend time with your family, read the Bible together, maybe watch a movie or read a book in bed with a wife, and you know, and then and then you fall asleep, and then and then you start all over again. It's wonderful. Circumstances eat away at you. So what's in your heart? Sin. Proverbs 23 and 7 says this, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Oh boy, another 
passage taken out of context. 23 and 7, huh? That's what she said. Hang on a second here. Uh, Proverbs 23, is that what you... Uh-huh. She, well, all right. Uh, uh, <clears throat> Proverbs 23. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you. And put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Um, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says, but his heart is... Not with you. You will vomit up your morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. Do not speak in the hearing. Is that what she, is that what she was referring to? Hmm. Um. Hmm. Yeah. I, let me back the tape up. Maybe I just got the wrong address. Hang on a second here. Let's see. Let's take a look here. Thanks. Uh, not far enough. Hold on, I got to back up just a smidge. There we go. Let's see. So, what's in your heart? Sin. Proverbs twenty-three and seven says this: For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. You know, it makes me wonder. Yeah, I found the right address, but um, maybe it's in the King James. Hang on a second here. Let me see if I can change translations. For as he thinketh in his heart, so he is. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's it's from Proverbs, it's from the King James. Well, let's read it from the King James Version. Does King James talk about as you think in your heart, so he is, as far as the way this, this woman is taking it out of context to say, what's in my heart? Okay, apparently there's a dream in there, you know. You got to find it. But that's not what Proverbs 23, 7 says at all. And here's what it says um, from the King James. When thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee, and put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. Be not desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful meat. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings, they fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats. For as he thinketh in his heart, so he is. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. Huh. Yeah, you put it into context, and it's... The, the as he thinketh in his heart, that's not a positive statement. That's actually very negative. It's a judgment against the stingy guy. Yeah, just again, you know, context, context, context. When people are taking verses out of context and telling you stories about what they say, they're lying to you. So, yeah, let's, uh, now that you know what it says in context, in the King James talking about the guy who's stingy, Let's listen again to what she said here. Watch how she's twisting God's word. Remember, twisting the Bible is not a victimless crime. So what's in your heart? Proverbs 23 and 7 says this, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. You want to start living a God-sized dream? 
have to start with the heart. <laughs> yeah, this is satanic. Wow, that was really bad. Solomon is telling us here that what we think is who we are. Uh, no, that's actually not what he's saying. Not the way you're doing it. Read it in context. The whole thing disappears. In fact, when you read it in the ESV, I mean, it doesn't even say that at all. You know, let me read again from the ESV. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. This is verse 6. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. Yeah, a good, just a good English modern translation completely takes away this false reading that this woman has given us. He's telling us what we think is who we will become. Lie. No, that's not what he says at all. So I asked you again, what's in your heart? Take ownership of it. Don't become a victim of fate. Your destiny and your purpose is what God has planned for you. And nowhere does the Bible say any of this stuff. Dreaming can change your destiny. And without dreaming, you can live a destitute life. Some of us need to realize God has a plan for us. And he counts it as a tragedy when we decide to watch life instead of living it. So start living it today. You can start today. Start living what God has put in your DNA. Yeah, if I start living what... uh, Well, actually, God didn't put the sin there. Uh, Yeah, where in the Bible does it say that God has put this plan inside my DNA? It doesn't say it anywhere. And sometimes we may wonder why God doesn't get involved in our lives. Maybe, just maybe, it's because we're not willing to live God-sized dreams. See, and you, see, if you're willing to live a God-sized dream, then you might start hearing from God. Law, 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 law. Complete misuse of God's law. It's not even God's law for real. See, if you're just obedient enough and, and, God, and you, you change the your attitude enough, God will go, oh, look. So-and-so has changed their attitude, and they have a positive outlook, and they want to know the God-sized dream that I put inside their DNA. Well, good news, now I can reveal it to them. Finally, I've just, just been waiting for them to change their attitude. The Bible doesn't teach any of this nonsense. None of it. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? No. We're done with you. Folks, um... These are not isolated instances. I'm hearing more and more and more of this heresy, this nonsense shrouded in biblical language preached from so-called Christian churches or life centers or whatever. This is not the biblical gospel. This is not biblical doctrine. This is satanic self-love tripe. This sends people to hell keeps them in bondage to their sin, keeps them in bondage to the devil. 
This is a grand, grand deception of the devil, and it's all about self-love. If you know somebody who attends a church like this, you need to lovingly confront them with the truth. If you know somebody who goes to this church, make sure they get a copy of this podcast and listen to this sermon review. These people are heading to hell. We need to pray for them and we need to reach them with the truth. If you know somebody who attends a church like this and believes this kind of stuff, you need to take the time to lovingly show them from the scriptures that what they're believing is not the truth, that they're being deceived, that they're not really truly hearing the word of God, nor are they hearing from God the Holy Spirit. Because God the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts the world of sin and unbelief. What was the sin here? Oh yeah, the sin of not living. Oh, the sin of not discovering the the, the God-sized dream inside of your God-shaped heart down deep inside of your DNA. That's just pure, absolute mythology. It's poppycock. It's bovine scatology. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what God calls us to do. It's not what God calls us to preach. This is a breaking of the commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. God is being misused here to basically steal his divine, holy credibility and authority and borrow it in order to lend credibility to this false teaching. This is a crime, and it's a crime of a, mag- of a magnitude that's like almost impossible to measure because the people who are believing this are heading to hell. This is a false gospel. This is a false Christ, and this is not the biblical God. You must, for their sake, love them enough to tell them the truth, to pray for them, and to confront this error. Even now, Christ will forgive them for this false doctrine and false belief because Christ died on the cross for even this sin, even these sins. Preach the word. Need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount, you could do so by clicking on the donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. My email address, if you'd like to email me, is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.